0: That was cool. So this morning, we're talking about the importance of influencing the next generation. Today, we're looking at Proverbs and talking about this task that God's given to all this people of impressing faith, character, God's law, and ethics to kids. It's one of those things that it's hard to make time for, but in the broad story of the Bible, there are few tasks that appear to be more important. If you can make time to even slightly show God's love in a way that influences kids. Doing that, I'm so excited today because this has the potential of, I'm not exaggerating, changing the future of the world for the better. We've been in the book of Proverbs, looking at decision making, and lots of you have been reading a chapter a day, which is fantastic. Reading Proverbs is a good discipline of doing the inventory of choices that we're all making and evaluating them. And in case you weren't here for the past couple weeks, let me just give you my normal introductory remarks. Uh, First, wisdom flows out of worship. We've talked about this. You'll find lots of Proverbs that are rules for and observations about life, but they're more than just pithy sayings. They always point to something bigger, that this is God's world. And to best navigate it, to find wisdom, you must have a relationship with the Lord. To navigate it wisely is what Proverbs points to. So when you read Proverbs, especially when you navigate with the complexity of all of life, it should push you toward the Lord who knows what's going on. That's the first thing. Uh, second thing, Proverbs needs context. Now, you'll see in Proverbs a lot of things that are true, but they're not absolute or formulaic. In fact, it's frustrating sometimes, because sometimes you read Proverbs that stand in contradiction to other things. Uh, even in Proverbs. Take this verse, for example. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Isn't that so true? Like think about who you are as a human being. Like today, no matter how old you are, you cannot escape uh, how you were raised. It's just one of those facts in life. It's really funny, some of you are turning into your parents (laughs) and it's kind of funny and unavoidable. Uh, My dad is a preacher and I'll go some places to speak who know him and not me and people will hear his voice and say they could close their eyes and it's my dad up here, like like he's standing behind the pulpit. Uh, Training up children is so important because you only get one shot at being a kid and how you're raised changes them for the rest of their lives. But this isn't a really simple absolute formula, right? Some people read this and go, oh good, so all I have to do is teach my kid one thing good. If I raise them right, if I put them in all the right spots, the rest of their life is set and they'll end up perfect. Um, you know it doesn't work like plug and play, right? Because you've seen this. Some kids turn out really well even though they weren't raised right. Some kids turn out really poorly even though they're raised well because life is complicated. Me personally, I've tried my best to train my child, children well and one of them, to my disappointment, cheers for the Giants. It's not my fault. I did my best. Proverbs says, train up kids. It's important. It has a lasting impact. Uh, this is a good message. The time you spend investing faith in your kids—we'll talk about this, or even other people's kids—it pays off dividends. But you could think of lots of examples where this doesn't really work out, because Proverbs needs context. You don't just plug in people into formulas and forget about it. Proverbs always longs for the wisdom of God to make sense of how complicated life is. The third introductory point is that Proverbs are really basic. (laughs) Like You're going to read Proverbs and you might go, I knew that. (laughs) But think about it, it is always the basic decisions that you make that both lead you to your biggest mistakes and to your biggest victories. Don't expect to read Proverbs and just be shocked by some sort of epiphany that you've never thought about that doesn't make sense. You're not going to go, wait, what? God, God is against lying? No one ever told me. I mean, nothing here is really novel, but it's worth your time. Think about it. Most of us get the greatest benefits built up over simple decisions. We get the biggest, well, we crash and burn out of stuff we're like, I don't know what I was thinking. It's the small stuff that counts. So don't take anything in Proverbs for granted. This is worth meditating on. All right, with all those things in mind, this morning we're going to take one last look at a topic in Proverbs. And just to give you a bit of a preview for the next couple weeks, uh, this is our last, I'm so sad about it, this is our last sermon from Proverbs. This week, as you may know, starts a season of Lent. Basically, there are roughly 40 days uh, before We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and during those 40 days, Christians tend to, well, think about the death and sacrifice of Christ. And our church doesn't typically do a whole lot to market. We're not going to do ashes or anything, but we will take the next several Sundays, looking at the stories leading up to Easter, and we're going to focus on some of the amazing stories about people We saw the life of Jesus firsthand, and we're going to see how Jesus changes lives. And I am really excited about the next couple weeks. We're going to tell some of the best stories in the Bible. And I'm excited because this season will have more meaning, and you'll feel it more deeply, the resurrection of Christ, if you take the time thinking about uh, the stories in Scripture. We'll start that next Sunday. But one more time, one last topic, one more question What does the book of Proverbs say about kids and family? Because when you read through the Proverbs, and you should read through the Proverbs, you might be surprised about how many of the decisions you're called to make have to do with investing with the people who come after you. In fact, before we start reading individual Proverbs on the topic, let me just zoom out for a bit. Proverbs. Is in the Bible, (laughs) in the Hebrew Bible. Okay, we're going to have a review question, see who was paying attention last week. Last week we said that Proverbs wasn't originally written for everybody. It was written for who? Princes, right? Say it together. Uh, Proverbs was written for princes. Uh, And we talked about a little bit how we're a lot more like princes than we are like peasants in ancient context. But it, it, it's actually a little bit more than that. Proverbs was written to Israelite princes. They're part of the, the Israelite story. And the story of the Israelites starts with a man named Abraham. His name means, literally, father of many. And if you know this story, you have this idea that the very first leader of Israel isn't a king, But he's someone who's called to be a father to as many people as there are stars in the sky. You ever think about that? The main model of a successful Israelite leader wasn't a king on a throne or a successful entrepreneur. It's a a dad. And anyone else who follows the story in the story of Israel is measured by how well they do as a parent. You'll discover something if you read from Genesis the second chronicle, there's this pattern that the success or failure of, I mean, not just people, but of communities get judged. The measurement of their success is their ability to raise up the next generation. You can go back and tell the story of every Israelite leader in the Old Testament and say, you know, your main job is to be a father of many, Abraham. How's your parenting doing? And uh, if you do that for each even just the patriarchs, the Old Testament story becomes a very sad story. We humans tend to focus on what's right in front of us, and one thing I love about the history or about history and the Bible is it gives us a much bigger perspective. Like you know the genealogies in the Bible, most of us, we'll be honest, we skip over it most of the time. So-and-so begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so who is the mother of so-and-so. Like, think about what that is. Entire lifetimes are reduced to one thing they do, parenting. And all the stories between the begots, uh, entire lives are graded on one thing. History cares about one thing. How did you do raising up the next generation? This is a giant theme in the Bible. It's fascinating, but uh, if, if you go through this story, through the patriarchs, uh, by the time you get to Moses, who's giving out formal theology, the task of a community, like not, not just your kids, but raising up the kids of a community is paramount. I'm thinking about this. This is the Shema, the major creed of the Israelites, and it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts and impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit, on the, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. I mean, guys, this is a theological statement of the Israelite religion. And this is like, this is the thing everybody memorized, and they they said a lot. And here it is, there's one God, love him, and make sure that your kids know the Lord. There might be some other theological questions you might have, but these are the headlines, just those three things, uh, really important. And the tragedy of the Bible is that when you flip through the stories, people mainly forgot the main things. You could read hundreds of stories about parents forgetting to parent, communities forgetting to raise kids. This is one of the most frustrating storylines in the whole Bible of people of faith forgetting to pass things on. Think about what happens next. So we're in Deuteronomy. Moses invested in Joshua, so not his own kid, someone else's kid, which says this is about a community investing in the next generation. Joshua does great. He leads really well. you got the book of Joshua, and it ends with Joshua dying. and there's this really weird scene at his funeral. People uh, are looking around and going, "Oh wait, did um did Joshua remember to mentor anybody? <laughs> like, did he, um, good guy, but did he train anyone else?" It's really embarrassing because like, I think he might have forgot about, like, you know, the whole impressing God to the next generation. They they literally look around and go, we've got no leaders here because previous leaders didn't raise up leaders. And uh, then you've got the next book is uh, Judges. And if you read Judges, God raises up uh, kind of random, I don't know where he finds these people. Othniel's, Deborah's, Gideon's, the Judges. You've got women and men who do extraordinary things. They bring back this idea of uh, that God is one, don't worship the idols, uh, love God, and they, they forget about the third thing. <laughs> there is no judge that I could find who does an adequate job training the next generation. And that means when they die, everything they built dies with them. Their good leadership does not outlive themselves. I mean, you could look up to Gideon if you want, fantastic guy, just... Don't read anything about his kids because he forgot to be a parent. Judges had time to rule a nation, but they didn't take the time to teach Sunday school or talk to kids. They didn't volunteer for nursery and they didn't live forever. So when they passed, because they forgot about it, things crashed and burned. Like I'm not exaggerating, people died because good people didn't take the time to invest in the next generation. You could read the pattern over and over again. By the time you get to kings, or at least the the history of the kings, now more people are affected than than ever because there's a king, and when you're a king, you're busy, you spend time building something here, like you, you build your castle and your kingdom and your army, but here's a problem. Kings get judged by history, by what happens next, you get evaluated as a good or a bad king on what happens after you're gone. And uh, that's not up to you. It's the next generation. So in the biblical story, it is tragic. We, we don't learn. You've got generations of kings, and you've got some good kings who love God and lead well, but ultimately, the story of the Bible is so sad. Because even the best kings you could find got too busy to invest in the people that come up after them. That you, every once in a while, you'll find a king who remembers the first part of the Shema. They worship one God, not tons of God. They love the Lord. They don't hate the Lord. But it's hard to find even one that does a good job at raising their kids in the faith. I mean, obviously, more than one thing goes wrong in the empire story of the Old Testament. But it seems like the biggest theme that comes up is that kings forgot to impress the Lord on their kids. This has massive consequences. I mean, empires crumble. People die because kings were too busy to impress the Lord on kids. This is a major strand in the old picture. This is the big picture. Remember, Proverbs is a smaller picture. It's written in the voice of King Solomon giving advice to his sons, the princes, And you might not be surprised at all that Proverbs says over and over again that wisdom looks like obeying Deuteronomy to impress God's law, faith, impress it on the next generation. Talk about God's law when you sit at home, to paraphrase Deuteronomy. Talk about the Lord when you're walking along the road, when you're in the hallways, when you interact with kids wherever you find them, when you... Uh, When you're trying to get a minute to yourself, you might be a king in Proverbs, but if you're not a good parent, you're a bad king, is basically the message of Proverbs, because the message or the next generation will either build up or destroy, but you're working so hard at building. That's the general context for what we're going to read in Proverbs on parenting. I'm not going to give you all the Proverbs. I'm giving you a simple outline. You'll find most of this in your handout. Really, I'm just giving you a, a pretty big bucket and one verse to show what a bunch of verses would say uh, if we had the time to read them. But the first thing Proverbs says is how important it is or how important family is. And Proverbs does this in a bunch of different ways, but it does it by warning against anything that destroys a family community. This is a fascinating passage to me. Uh, chapter six, verse 16 and following. Like just Before I read it, uh, I'm gonna read it. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to his soul. Here's a list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, a hand or hands that spill the blood of the innocent, A heart set on iniquitous plans, feet hurrying to run to evil, a false witness who proclaims lies, and those who cause conflict among brothers. It's a fascinating exercise, right? Imagine if we had a blank piece of paper in the bulletin and we said, okay, list seven things that God hates. Like what, what really makes God upset? I, I don't know what you'd list. Maybe you'd list some of the things on here, like, I don't know, murder seems pretty bad. That'd make my list. Uh, some of these, you know, the numbers are a little off. He lists more than once, like lying comes up a couple times. But this is one that probably would not make my list. You know what God hates? God hates those who disrupt families. God hates it. Look at the last one. When people introduce conflict or things that erode family relationships, the feuds, the quarrels, the pettiness, Proverbs says if you have to make a list of things that God hates, the things that cause conflicts among brothers is a quote, abomination to the soul of God. That is powerful language, folks. This implies That being close to family is really, really important. That being a community, related or not, being close to people in a loving, supporting, caring environment is crucial to what God has for people on earth. Family is really important. Don't let anything threaten what God has given you. In Proverbs, that's important. And I think it's important because... In Proverbs, it is the family where kids get instruction. I'll list one verse among dozens. This is, we're just describing what is normative. Uh, it goes, for I was a son to my father, the tender and only one of my mother who, well, what, do, what do parents do? They, he taught me and he said to me. That, that's what families are supposed to be doing. In Proverbs, fathers, mothers, uh, if you have kids, you've got a job is to teach your kids. Kids learn from you, whether you like that or not. Um, There are a couple problems with this. Um, Remember, this is written for a king in the voice of King Solomon. Here's a problem. Kings have a lot going on. Kings are busy. They've got responsibility. They also have enough resources to outsource teaching. You can hire uh, the best teachers in the world if you're a king. And yet kings are challenged to teach kids themselves. And look, um, I don't know all your scheduling, but you're not busier than King Solomon. You're not more important than a head of an empire. Uh, Solomon learned a lot from his dad, some bad things from his dad, right? He learned how to treat women from his father, and that cost him his kingdom eventually. Solomon Taught a lukewarm faith to his kids with massive consequences. Changed the world for the worst. Kings are busy. You're busy. But don't be too busy to have integrity yourself. Don't be too busy to invest in your kids. Because long-term success depends on this, and God commands it. When you're a king, and we're all a lot more like kings and ancient peasants, We can all outsource kids to other people, but Proverbs pushes back and puts responsibility on parents to teach kids about faith and character. You know, we're again we're all probably more like ancient kings than ancient peasants. We have a lot more options. We're a lot busier than ancient peasants were. We we have pressure to, as parents, to outsource things to experts. So you know, we're very happy to partner with schools or church or, you know, I think parents do this a lot. It's really easy to think that maybe the basketball coach or the ballet instructor, instructor will teach my kid the value of hard work and discipline, and maybe they will. Maybe the school or youth group can teach them faith, but, you know, parent is a verb. And uh, parent your kids if you have kids. Teach them about faith, talk to them about life, I mean, they're going to learn from you anyway. <laughs> what are you going to teach them? I mean, think about all the stories of the Israelites. Just think about the kings. The entire world is changed, for better or worse, because of how they influence the next generation. Think about the success stories of Moses. Moses isn't even raising his own kid. He's just in a faith community, mentoring, investing. And this Joshua character who he just happened to interact with. Or Eli, whose own kids were messed up, so he invested in a kid named Samuel. If you don't have kids, or if you're in a different stage of life, you're not off the hook. Uh, You can help raise the next generation by helping out other people's kids with the same effect. Lots of success stories in the Bible about that. Let me start here, though. Um, If you're a parent and you're like, how do I do this? Talk to other parents. Look around this room. There's a lot of good advice and experience sitting in pews next to you. If you've, um, if you're younger, ask old people. You've got lots of valuable information here. I would recommend, if you have a phone, here's some smartphone apps. These ones, these are the ones that I use. One's called the Parent Queue. You could search for it. It's called that. It's free. This is actually so cool. It's linked to our kids' church curriculum. So you could download it in a, this is from my phone. This is a the J is for Jude, and you'll see, I don't know if you can see this or not, but there's a terrifying countdown of how many weeks my eight-year-old son is at home before he turns 18. This, is a, this number goes down, and it's terrifying, right? Uh, you don't have as much time as you think. And uh, then you have, like, this is so cool. Uh, I'm able to see the Bible lesson that he's learning right now in the basement, and that uh, my wife happens to be teaching today uh but you know in a couple minutes i could go hey or, or you could go hey 252 kid here's what you learned about uh talk what do you learn uh and this is you know i think the hardest thing is knowing how to talk to kids when you know deuteronomy when you're sitting down standing up whatever um there's literally a set of discussion questions every week with uh i love this uh morning time as your kid starts today here's what you could talk about or uh, Drive time, when you're in the minivan, here's something you ask your kids about, faith or meal time. I'll give you one more app. This one's called the New City Catechism. I do this with my sixth grader, or at least I have for a couple weeks. Uh, most days when I'm home, she's got this little iPad thing, and I have this app. We open it. It is uh, the Catechism, uh, Heidelberg and Westminster combined. Uh, and we just, we talk about a topic about God. And it's uh, actually kind of funny. Um, the other day we were talking about basically the question is how do you obey the first commandment and it talks about it and it's uh, putting God first and she just starts going on this, like she's not here I don't want to embarrass her, but she goes on this rant about how she noticed a lot of kids at the middle school seem like what they're really really worried about is what other people think about them and that's probably more important to them than uh, God's approval and she just so insightful, she talked about how Insecure other kids are and then she started talking about I'm so proud of this kid She talked about about how because she is confident with God. She doesn't have to worry as much about uh, the clothes that she wears and Now she's able to dress like a crazy homeless person who looks like she got hit by a rainbow um, It's a work in progress, <laughs> but uh, the funniest part is uh, I, I leave and It's like you know Okay, no more screen time unless you're reading the complicated theology and it's, it's a little bit above her head, but she'll read it, and uh, it, it puts her to sleep. And it, it's pretty cool. Like, there's so many good tools uh, to help out parents. That's just what I'm playing with right now. It's a, we'll see how long that goes. But here's two free apps that are available on a device most of us carry around all the time. If uh, you're more of a book person or if you're a parent or a grandparent uh, looking for resources, I'd love to help you with that. Uh, Of course, if you're not in that stage of life, or if you don't have kids, you're not off the hook. Invest in other people's kids, like Moses or Eli. In fact, that is what we do in baptism. Um, Figure out how to get involved to impact the next generation. Lots and lots of problems about this. The third category is to kids. And there's lots of verses that indicate that a wise person is humble. You've got to respect and listen to what other people have learned. Kids, uh, listen to your parents. And this is very like poetic here, but it says, An eye that ridicules one's father and despises the teaching of one's mother, may the ravens of the wadi pick it out and the young of the eagle eat it. This isn't just a football reference. Uh, here's the point. Every generation thinks they've got it figured out and they don't need to listen to anybody else. That's just That's been true for thousands of years. So a wise person is humble enough to learn from other people. The fact is new isn't always better. Old isn't always better. Humility is always better. So learn from people who've made mistakes so you don't have to. You'll see in your handout I gave you a summary of our catechism that I'm not going to talk about right now. I'm teaching our kids' class right after church. So uh, if you're in 6th through 10th grade, you can get a preview of what we're going to talk about. If you're an adult, you could uh, sneak in, and we'll see what we're discussing then. Number four, big bucket. Lots of verses about this. Parents must discipline uh, children for their own good. Lots of verses like this one. Don't withhold discipline from young people If you strike them with a rod they will not die. Strike them with a rod and you will extricate their lives from Sheol. You know what the famous problem with princes is? Princes are spoiled rotten, right? The problem is when you're a prince you don't have to work hard, you can avoid all the consequences of their actions. You do something that should get you in trouble and you're not in trouble because you know who their dad is. We're raising a generation of princes. Kids don't get in trouble anymore. And Proverbs says that teach kids discipline. Don't get distracted by the whole rod thing. This isn't pro-corporal punishment as much as it's pro-discipline. Lots of Proverbs about this. Don't spoil kids. Let them learn to work hard. Teach them about consequences. This will help them later in life. A spoiled prince becomes a bad king. This is really hard for parents. Um, it's really easy to protect kids from the consequence of their own actions. I got little kids, when I got a kid that spills something, let me, well, you can guess what's easier, me cleaning it up or me making them clean it up? Me doing it, right? Wisdom says it's worth teaching kids about consequences. Last verse, or last category of verses, might be the hardest, because it's about the first part of the Shema. Teach kids about God, we've talked about that, first you've got to live it out yourself. Lots of verses like Proverbs 27. The godly the godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. The godly walk with integrity. Their kids are blessed as they follow them. This is terrifying to me. Children follow their parents. They're always watching. Like, I talk like my dad because I heard him talk. And guys, uh, this is terrifying for parents. When you see yourselves, anyone else do this? You see your strengths and your weaknesses in your kids. So work on yourself. Follow the Lord first. Have integrity. And your commitments to faith, hard work, and character pays off in the legacy you leave behind. If we had time, we could pause and celebrate how blessed so many of us are because we've followed godly people who lived with integrity. But big picture, the proverb says that people who walk with integrity are close to God and part of obeying the Lord makes them prioritize and pressing their faith on kids. And to be honest, I understand every reason people give for not getting involved in this task of raising kids. Don't tell them I said this. Kids can be annoying. It's work. It's easier not to take the time. We're all so busy. Uh, It's not always rewarding to raise kids. I'll bet some of you see your names in the bulletin to help out in nursery and are like, oh no, not again. Maybe we won't get any kids this Sunday. Um, We also have lots of other activities for kids that need help. And uh, I'll bet there's nights when GEMS leaders or youth group leaders are like, oh no, is it Tuesday or Thursday again? Uh, Kids at work, you may be walking in the parking lot and be thrilled not to have to talk to any of these little things running by you at fast speeds. But Proverbs says that the time you spend investing in the next generation is both wise, worshipful, and worth it. And when you impress the Lord on the next generation, you change the world. So Father in heaven, I pray for the wisdom that you've given us. Right now I pray for all of us who have the chance to impact kids. I thank you for all the parents in our church, for those who've already raised Adults with character and faith. I pray for the the parents and the grandparents and all the folks who help out in this community to raise up a generation that loves you. Father, can you bless the promises we make at baptisms to raise kids to know you. I pray that you would be with parents as they make solemn commitments to raise kids in the faith. It's hard. We need your help. We need your wisdom. May we be faithful to what you've challenged us to do. And may we see fruit as we recognize how much you love us and all the opportunities that we have to serve you where you've placed us. Can you bless us as we follow you? I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.